Hello, I am E. And I'm Anne. And welcome to Blood and Turf, a podcast about the links between the ideology of turfs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and fascism, cults, pseudoscience, and other reactionary political phenomena. In this episode, we will be looking at a complex topic, the peculiar political fetishization of the child in turf rhetoric, the impact this has on trans healthcare, and the connection this subject has to wider issues like the nuclear family, bodily autonomy, informed consent, and fascist concepts of women and the family in general. So I guess in this, in this episode, we're gonna be talking about quite a few different little things that relate to this topic. Um, things around like the way the NHS functions as a service, uh, like the concept of informed consent. Um, and that's, that's just like the basics. There's also like the wider things that we've just mentioned, like traditional family values. Uh, and I was wondering if, if given this is sort of your area of expertise, you could, I guess, give a quick briefing on what exactly we're talking about here in terms of healthcare. What is, what is so important about the, the way that TERFs view children and how that relates to the trans healthcare debate and what the actual real world implications are? Alrighty, so basically, in general, in British law and specifically medicine informed by British law, um, we have like specific policies that attempt to kind of make it very clear what level of autonomy young service users have, um, because TERFs are concerned with children. They're concerned with the mythical child being transed by a, a weird um, anti-family, paedophilic, corrupting kind of influence, which is, is, which is trans people to them. That's what they think tr adult trans people are. Um, and so they're really very angry about under, under 18 service users accessing any degree of trans healthcare. Um, and this directly contradicts Gillick competency, which is one of the specific policies, um, which is named for a 1985 House of Lords decision around the right of under 16s to access contraceptives without parental permission, um, which basically has a competency test for anyone under 16 to access any healthcare. And this is used across the board. Um, it most often comes up when it, when it comes to things like reproductive access, reproductive health access, or like bodily autonomy in general. And both of these things relate to trans stuff, which is why when TERFs get really freaked out about little Timmy, they're actually directly attacking the concept of Gaelic competency. So <clears throat> the test is as follows. As a matter of law, the parental right to determine whether or not their minor child below the age of 16 will have treatment terminates if and when the child achieves sufficient understanding and intelligence to understand fully what is proposed. Now, this freaks TERFs out because they love to control their children, because children, are, uh, uh, they are things to be owned by their parents. Um, but also, even though we have Gillick competency in law, um, that's not actually how trans healthcare works anyway, not even for adults. So with, if, if, if Gillick competency was implemented completely idealistically, it would be done with a perfect test of competency and informed consent. And that would be the only um, barrier to access any kind, of, any kind of healthcare for any service user of any age. Now with trans healthcare, we don't have an informed consent model. Uh, they have it in the US in certain places and we don't. The first time I ran across informed consent was when I was in the hospital about an hour before I went under the knife, where they gave me a form and basically said, do you know that this could kill you, blah, 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 everything could go terribly. And I signed the form. 
But to get to that point, I had to go through loads and loads of hoops, which have nothing to do with informed consent and only to do with psychiatric gatekeeping. So it's like a twofold attack because like TERFs, TERFs don't want anyone to access healthcare and they've reframed everything as being about this kind of like knife's edge of informed consent that could fail a child at any moment. When under 18s don't get to access most of uh, trans healthcare anyway, and also like no one accesses healthcare based on informed consent alone at the moment. I guess like the best way of like summarizing it is that there's like an idealized fear that has produced like a set of a set of reactions that has actually now be begun to seriously affect people's material realities. That's the basic core of this of this argument. And yeah. it's like it's like they they think that there's this equivalent of like a of like a libertarian paradise when it comes to medical decisions where you can kind of just rock up and and click your fingers and the NHS will, will leap into motion like a bunch of like magical puppets and they'll do evil things to your lovely child. Whereas in reality, it's a lot more kind of like bureaucratic and complex. Yeah, bureaucratic to the point of like, you know, trans people make the joke that the BIC is a Kafka-esque bureaucracy. And I actually, I know that's used a lot, but I actually don't think it's that much of an exaggeration. That's the level of bureaucracy there is. From from someone from someone in my position who's 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 like obviously never experienced it directly and like never will experience it directly, but has lots of friends who have. Every single story I've heard about it, whether it's like people making like uh, kind of grinning and bearing it jokes when we're like having a few drinks, or when they're actually like upset and relating something that actually happened, it makes it it does actually make it sound like the the healthcare the healthcare equivalent of when Americans have to do their own tax returns except you've got PTSD from doing tax. Yeah, basically. That's a pretty good summary. Um, uh, but the reason that I have Gillick, the, a copy of you know, the Gillick competency test just to hand is because I had to write an article um, about this. And the reason I did this is because, like you said, it is materially impacting people because the Tory government put out a statement, Liz Truss specifically, um, capitulating to concerns about Gillick competency. And this, um, was very, this was very recently, wasn't it? Oh yeah, this was I think a, a few months ago. Um, and uh, uh, it was the 20, 22nd of April speech from the Minister for Women and Equalities to the Select Committee. Um, and uh, basically like, we've now got, you know, the Women and Equalities Minister, uh, as much of a joke that is coming from a Tory, weighing in on a misunderstanding of medical law in a way that will have consequences for all trans people. It's not, the, 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 the magical child is being used, but this doesn't actually impact children in any way whatsoever, because yeah. um, under 18 is allowed to It does, but in exactly the opposite way that they think it does. Yeah, exactly. So um, based off this news, like uh, lots of people claimed that the government would try and ban transition for under 18s. Um, and, and this is really like what the TERFs want, and this is why people... I don't think um, it wasn't actually going to go that far, it was more like imposing a, another set of institutional roadblocks rather than actually banning it per se. Yeah, no, it's, um, so it, like, exactly, like it wasn't specifically saying that, and also that would be impossible because, you know, um, uh, transition just means taking actions towards recognition of one's gender identity that wasn't assigned at birth, so that can include like, dressing up in nice clothes. It can include changing your name. Like they, they can't ban that. Like that's impossible. But the reason that everyone, the reason that every news outlet immediately was like, the government's gonna burn transition is because we all know that like 
That's essentially what TERFs want. And we know that so far the government is pretty chill giving the TERFs what they want. Um, Trust specifically what she actually says is not a direct issue. And, and, and her statement is on the Gender Recognition Act. It's not about children. And the fact that she made it about children is, is why it's worrying. She said, not a direct issue concerning the Gender Recognition Act, but is re relevant making sure that under 18s are protected from decisions that they could make that are irreversible in the future. I think, but I believe strongly that adults should have the freedom to lead their lives as they see fit. But I think it's very important that while people are still developing their decision-making capabilities, that we protect them from making those irreversible decisions. So she's, so she's saying like, we need to protect people. We need to protect young people from making decisions. The irreversible, the irreversibleness is kind of irrelevant because the, 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 the concept of Gillick competency is that if they can make those decisions, no one can protect them. The only thing that Gillick competency can do is, is, is make sure that you can make those decisions. But if you can make those decisions, then you are capable. So Liz Truss is basically being like, fuck Gillick competency. Right. Uh, and, and she's a women and equalities minister for the, for the, for the government in power. Right. There's, there's, there's two threads I want to talk on. And one of them is the concept, like the, the, the magical concept of the child that exists in the turf imaginary. And the other one is, is, the, is, the, is the notion of the irreversible decision. Because we both know that they're talking about something very specific when they're, when they're thinking about the irreversible decision. They're basically, they're, they're clearly talking about hormones and surgery, very specifically the latter one, which is not something that they give to under 18s, with the exception of like puberty blockers, which are not the same thing. There's, there's very little actual physical health care that is provided for trans people under the age of 18. Yeah, that's correct. Like, if, if you know of any, then, like, please enlighten me. But my understanding is that it is very, very limited. So, basically, young people can't have surgery in the UK if they're under 16. They can't. It is illegal, and no surgeon would do it. So, basically, it, the, only, the only thing that you're getting if you're, like, a 17-year-old trans girl is if you're really lucky, puberty blockers. You'd have to be lucky. Your parents would have to not only love you and accept you, but also constantly fight your corner. You'd have to have the perfect timing. And you'd also nowadays need the money to attend private appointments because the, the waiting list is so long now that even if you came out when you were two years old and your parents were really accepting, you probably wouldn't get puberty blockers in time. Right. So, so even, um, I don't know if this actually pertains for this specific child, but remember when there was like a huge boy story about the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's child being gender non-conforming in some way. Yep. That's about as privileged as it gets. What you're saying is that even a child in that position, if they were going through the NHS, would have to basically continuously roll double sixes. Absolutely. And by the way, I'm not entirely sure if the tabloid stories about um, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's child were actually accurate. And I don't want to speculate about a child's gender identity because that's just rude. So this is just a hypothetical, really. Yeah. Um, okay. So so yeah, there's there's the there's the irreversible change, and I feel like the the thing the thing they're afraid about with the irreversible change is that there's something happening, something specifically being done by an external interfering force to something that they fetishize and hold dear, which is this kind of like eternalized concept of the child, which is represented in their specific child. And they very much consider it to be 
their child. This this you know this this young person is theirs in a very possessive in a very possessive way, and that is like to me very clearly at the the core of a lot of these when turfs talk about children specifically. That's very clearly at the core of this of this fear that they have. There's some very clear historical origins to this this child concept. It it, it is kind of um, obvious when you think about it, like where it's sort of come from. But I think that despite the fact that it's obvious to you and me, I think it's quite quite worth like digging into digging into the historical origins of this trope because that I think tells us a lot about turfism as a wider ideology. Like the way that we're discussing it right now is is sort of individualizing we're talking about like a, a hypothetical individual turf person who is you know constricting the rights of those within their family because they have a political and psychological hang-up but there's also like wider implications about the movement in general and i feel like the the connection between this fetishized concept of children and this like rather complex ingrained fear about interference and like corruption and malfeasance and like something kind of like coming in from outside to do things to a child's body which is tied up into all of these like fears about like sexuality and parental control and the household unit and all that stuff everything about it speaks volumes about the turf mindset about this very proprietarian mindset yep there's 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 historical there's historical um discourse on little timmy from both sides as well like um queer theorists like Edelman and, and Baden have also spoken uh, against uh, the mythical child because they've obviously identified that the child is like constant and like a universal value in, in like mainstream politics. Because like children are, children are such a constant feature of human society and human life. Regardless of like what format your community has taken, whether it's like a modern municipal industrial format with lots of nuclear families in, in like single households, or if it's like a, a more communal format, there's, there's always children around. And um, the relationship which like socially responsible adults, quote unquote, have to those children is not always, but is predominantly in a caregiving role of some form. Whether that care is being done well or not is another is another matter entirely, because Lord knows there's tons of like child slavery and that kind of thing in human history. But I feel like there is a somewhat universalized understood experience amongst adult human beings that um children are a part of like the citizen body that you have to care for. I, like that just goes without saying. And I feel like this Praise so much on that assumption that it makes it very politically powerful. Yeah, uh, where Edelman says like the child is the fantastic symbol for the eternal pro proliferation of class society. The child represents the succession of generations and the continuation of this society beyond the lifespans of its living members. All politics, being concerned primarily with the child, then reveal themselves to only ever be a process by which to manage and secure the continued existence of society. Because, uh, and, and then it specifically says like, the child of course has very little to do with real children. Like all people, children are enslaved under the political order of the state and capital. So it's like, even if you, even if you are like a communist and you think that we should live outside of those things, you are, you are still doing things for the child. This uh, like harkens back to that joke I made in the pilot episode about um, their, about the, there being this um, as yet rather unarticulated ideological drive within turfism that is textually identical 
to the 14 words. For, for, the, for the sake of clarity and for our viewers, what we are referring to here is, is, a, is a, an infamous and very potent white supremacist slogan, um, which is, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. This 14 word slogan, which is meant to be like a, a, one of the primary ideological rallying cries for the, the white supremacist movement. And it, it sneaks into all sorts of like right wing and reactionary narratives uh, in various different ways around things like immigration, around like miscegenation, that kind of thing. As a concept, it is absolutely integral to how this side of, or this is what we argue, it is absolutely integral to how turfism as an ideology functions. Because this stuff about children is like, a, it's, it's one of the pillars of the, of the turf argument. Because if, if they can convince the person that they're trying to convince that there is something happening to their child, or that there is the potential for something happening to their child, they got this huge emotional fish hook, like it instantly lodged directly inside that person's mouth, and they can kind of pull and pull and pull and reel them in. And the nature in which this argument is constructed is that because there is an imminent threat to the child, that means that there is a necessity for action upon the societal caregivers within the within like the the body of citizens within the society, which is the people who are then making this argument to. And because there's that necessity for action, they need to come up with specific plans of how to engage in that action, and that means policy. And that is how they are trying to impact the political landscape within, particularly within the UK and the US right now. But M. How could this one policy about trans children affect, you know, uh, fascist ideology about the family? So yeah, this is this is the thing: is that is that turfism markets itself as being as being a progressive movement. Like it, it, it's literally all in the all in the name. Uh, it, it markets itself about being about feminism, about like protecting children, very specifically from what they view as being like a social reactionary movement that's out here to like steal. The rights of women and give them to to like invading men but what they have done in advancing this this rhetoric about little timmy being preyed upon by the evil trans rights activists and all of their and their their cabal of doctors is that they have done a straight lift a full like if you if you did this in a university essay you'd be chucked out they've completely plagiarized anti-semitism the reason why i think this is like this is so obvious that it barely needs backing up but i feel like i should is that this is essentially a word-for-word -word copy of anti-Semitic narratives around like what the Jews were going to do to Christian children. And throughout the kind of like latter end of the 20th century, that began to be about what the LGBT movement is going to do to is going to do to your children, and what the gays are going to do to your children if they're allowed to teach in schools, if they're allowed to have equal rights, and so on and so forth. So the way in which these the way in which like turfism dovetails directly into fascism when it starts talking about like expanding expanding like control over children is it can if it can name something or someone that has the potential to do all of these powerful things to the sacred body of your child, then it can it can link it, it can create like an unsacred thing that is doing those things. Like it, it, it like creates this like duality between like a sacred body and an unsacred outsider. And that unsacred outsider is dirty, filthy trans people with their long grasping arms.
and their and their prostheses and their and their um you know their their, unna their unnaturalness yeah. yeah um i can't oh there's a there was a german word for this that they used during the 30s i think it's like unheimlich um or something like that i'm gonna google that but basically it it, it, it translates to like uncanny or like creepy and it was used as like a, it was used in in like a lot of um, like Nazi posters, and it was meant to refer to like the the insidious nature of the international Jew. You see this a lot in in TERFs when they're specifically being trans misogynistic, and they, they say like, "Oh, we can always tell an adult trans woman," and they and they refer to this uncanny valley like value. Yeah, or, or, or like like dolls. I've seen seen them refer to yeah. trans women as like as being doll like, like the. They're 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 simultaneously like a docile, unhuman automaton, but they're also like rapacious, like ensnaring beasts that are constantly engaging in violent intelligence. It's very contradictory, which is which is like a classic facet of fascist imagination of the enemy. Are we going back to uh, fascism again? I think that's one of the points. You know, you know, I think I think we should explain a couple of things for the for the listeners. Um, and one of them is is who the hell is little Timmy? And the other one is is the Ur fascism thing that we were we were thinking of doing. What many were were conceiving was that terrorism is such a boilerplate instance of how fascist ideology develops in its embryonic stages that it is it is like it perfectly fulfills almost every point on on the list of of what umberto eco a very like famous and influential italian writer and theorist and historian described as ur fascism like primordial fascist political and psychological drives um the other thing we need to explain is little timmy um so you do you want to explain little timmy or shall i explain little timmy <laughs> uh, i i want to hear what you say about little timmy um, I guess, I guess, little Timmy is is this like is is the is is our rather bleak joke term for the the, the real life outcome of what happens when first idealize the child and then apply that to their child. In this case, a a hapless young person. I, I, gender identity, ironically, completely irrelevant. Called Timmy. Um, who is completely fucked because their parents are raging turfs and they're just doing all these maniacal things because they're terrified that someone's going to take little Timmy away and turn them into something else. And little Timmy just wants to play with Lego, obviously. How do how do you conceive of little Timmy? I conceive of little Timmy as being as being as being like basically rather confused about why his parents or why her parents are being so weird and also kind of just wants to be left alone yeah the way i think of as little timmy is is that little timmy like the child is specifically amorphous because little timmy to me exists in hushed conversations had by their absolutely off on one parents yeah uh, yeah like little timmy is mentioned in the in the in the like the, the facebook comment yeah little little timmy is it, little timmy is the reason that their mother is on mum's neck posting at three o'clock in the morning menthol cigarette in hand uh about how awful it is that the the, the gender clinic are coming to take them right which does absolutely nothing to help little timmy 
a child who may or may not have actual genuine concerns about gender identity grasp those concerns and come to a productive outcome that does not leave Timmy with, you know, mental health problems. Essentially, essentially, uh, little Timmy is continuously failed by, by, by their parents, whereas, I guess, like, the ur-child of, of turfism is continuously venerated. Yeah, little Timmy is closer to being real because of that failure, whereas the ur-child exists only as a shining example of the future. You know, you know, a friend of mine and I were, were talking about um, the role of like the, the patriarchal figure within the authoritarian psychology. And he said part of the, the psychological effect that the role of the dictator has on, on, the, on the, the mind of the people who are being, who are the members of the regime, whatever it might be, is that like the primordial dictator can only ever be failed. Like you can only ever not be good enough. It's like an abusive parasocial relationship. And I feel like the, you know, the, the, the relationship between TERFs and, and little Timmy is also an abusive parasocial relationship, clearly, but it functions in a slightly different way because little Timmy is, 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 can, can never be safe. Uh, little Timmy can never, can never be autonomous because Timmy can never be safe, whereas actual real-life child has a much more complex relationship with the world and is sometimes autonomous, sometimes safe, sometimes both, and sometimes neither. And sometimes all of those things at once, depending on how you're calculating it, because that is how reality works. And sadly, that is too challenging for a lot of TERFs. And they resort back to Timmy and their dictators in the mind. And, and trust in her statement is almost directly speaking to Timmy by name when, when she says that, that young people need to be protected from decisions in the sense that it's like decisions are like a terrorist, like decisions are like a militant cell that's coming to shoot you. Exactly, especially because, again, Gillick Competency, found, foundation of, 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 of a lot of law, is specifically about decisions. Uh, you cannot protect a young person from a decision that they are competent to make. And if they're not competent to make it, then you can make the decision for them. But as soon as, as, soon as they can make the decision, you are not allowed to have authority over them. And, and it's this thing of like, uh, TERFs have very famously, they, they speak about the right of the child and then the, their definition of child grows ever older. It's the, the eternal fetus, you know, my 21 year old is too young. Okay, so I, I have a case study. Not only was the, the woman in question referring to the exact like situation that you're talking about, but the, the specific situation was not only, not only one where the child was fully grown up, they had actually never met their child. Um, it was a child they put up for adoption who got back in contact with them and told them that they were trans. Jesus. And after that, it immediately went south. Um, and the, 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 the turf in question sent them a Miranda, a, a Miranda Yardley article. And they have not spoken since. It, and th this this post uh, like went around like a couple of days ago, and the basic gist is that um, this woman had 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 this had this child, which you know, she thought was a son, and decided that because of her family family situation, which was apparently you know quite bad, and this this I think was a, actually a really a fairly tough choice, which I respect. Um, she decided to to put the, the, this kid up for adoption very very early on, like very early on. And, and then 
you know, this child has decided to transition during, I, I guess, the early, like early to mid twenties, judging like by how this is like, like how the, the story implies it. And the, this person just can't like handle it. And the, the, this entire discussion starts talking about like, um, this entire post that this woman has written start talking about like how how this how this decision almost like seems seems like almost like a hostile one taken um like about how about how like the, the child has like like flown the nest and and done something done something horrible outside of the realm of control and this this is where i feel like the the narrative becomes very very tragic because in this specific example it's it's like a very unfortunate situation because this woman in question like the, the the overall situation is not her fault she's had to make it like a very like she's felt she had she had to make a very difficult decision to to put a child up for adoption you know a, a situation which i will never be in so i and i i think that it clearly affected her quite a lot um i don't know how much that might have affected her becoming a turf and i don't want to speculate because i think that that's a really kind of like false path to go down in the in the labyrinth of unraveling people's ideologies but it's like there's this there's this mentality within within turfism that is it, it is 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 about kind of not letting the child ever ever like fully fly away and if they're suddenly confronted with like a fully fledged adult bird that doesn't have the plumage that they expect then it's like a moment of ultimate like psychological hostility uh, because it's it's like alien to this very conservative expectation they have yeah you have a child that is not only adult and independent and autonomous but also independent because of this unfortunate decision uh, and therefore the kind of and it's the it's the ultimate challenge to this to the to the turf concept the reason why yeah. it's the ultimate challenge because that child was outside of a nuclear family unit which is an authoritarian unit. And also, you know, the child is both able to be hostile whilst also needing protection, whilst also not having had that protection. Again, you know, not this woman's fault, but you, you see these warring concepts of like, oh, but this is my child, but oh, this is a hostile adult. Oh, and, and you know, I, I've been told on these awful things. There was a really, unravel. There was a really interesting component of, of the thing that this woman wrote. Um, I, I think it should be written like like read out because it's it's very very interesting. Um, obviously, the, the, this entire paragraph she's you know misgendering this woman completely, um, but I feel like it should be it speaks so many it speaks to like so many little kind of like understood mistruths within the within the the, the turf movement that I, I, I it's just really illuminating. She says, um, my just cut out the just cut out the the gendered terms basically. So what I'll do is I'll read out this paragraph and I'll just alter the, the pronouns and the gendered terminology to, to, to make sense with actual reality versus this woman's perception of reality so that we're gendering this person correctly. Um, my daughter is smart. She is persuasive. She is uh, handsome and she is dangerous. She is out there and she means you harm. Make no mistake. She feels she was slighted by a woman and her response is to demand women lose their status as women. She will defend this to her last breath. This is what we are dealing with when we deal with trans activists. We are dealing with mental illness empowered by the academic system and their class standing, looting and pillaging society full up with a deep sense of entitlement and looking for revenge. Everything is in that paragraph. Bloody all, hell. 
all of it is in there. It, it's incredible. Like, um, I was writing up the show notes for this episode last night and about to go to bed, and someone just retweeted this thing. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll have a look at it. And, it, you know, it, it's like that, that classic tweet from early Donald Trump era where some, like, one of the zillion corruption stories was, was, was like, blithely tweeted out by one of Trump's hapless nephews or something. Like an investigative journalist had a breakdown on the timeline because they, because he had just like tweeted out this story that he'd been investigating for two years. It's it's that, like, that's the that's the problem. The, the, the a difference has occurred, and therefore all of the things that are good about the child, like the 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 intelligence that has been fostered from the parental union unit, like the personal strength that has that has come out of the the strength of the bond in the in the parental unit in the household all of those things have become like a malevolent presence they become like a source of like it's it's like a fucking skeletor right like trans skeletor has appeared in the child is now like roaming all over the land instead of it being like oh my beautiful boy it's like everything that separates this child from their mother um is taken directly negatively and therefore illuminates that to this woman children must be subordinate property even the child who you did not bring up and again this goes back to this child was not brought up by their mother and therefore some people would argue that you know they've had their own parents or guardians or caregivers and a separate but to this woman the child is her blood I am unsure about what the relationship between the between the kid and this mother was. It does not go into detail here. Um, but this woman feels a, a claim just based on blood, just based on uh, the fact that she carried this child. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The reason it's bad is that she then goes on to be like, oh, I have a relationship with this child, but it's one where I own it. It's mine now. Yeah, also, like, where, where like, the... the the, the rupture in that in that proprietarian relationship came about in such a way that it means that because a rupture has occurred, my child is now the devil. Um, like like this person is now conceiving of their child mm-hmm. as 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 literally being a sex predator based on the fact that they sent an email to to their mother. That's wild to me when i uh underwent conversion therapy <laughs> it's e sad corner again um yeah, it's gonna be the good bit this is gonna be the bit of the podcast where we start making jokes again the previous 40 minutes have basically been you and me pontificating about wikipedia article entries but now it's fun o'clock <laughs> yeah now it's comedy hour baby um yeah when i went to conversion therapy the therapist said something very interesting to me, which I think fits along these lines, where I spoke about my um, contentious childhood. And she said that I had decided to transition because I hated my mother. And of course, everyone, wow. according to her, has an inner mother and father. And therefore, by transitioning, I was trying to kill my mother. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Which to me is incredible because it, it came directly after I spoke about my childhood. And so and my therapist, I mean, obviously she was trying to do conversion therapy. She was pretty shit at her job, but she started crying. And so, I, so to her, I was seen as this 
pitiful victim of my childhood. And then when my transness came into discussion, I again flipped and became the predator. I became the murderer. And, and yeah, we're talking- like it's, it's, it's not even just like murder. It's, it's not as if you were like actually engaging in, in direct physical violence. It's more like, like cosmic abolition of your mother. She phrased it in terms of killing. Yeah, she was like, you, 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 A, your gender identity is tied up to your mother and therefore this is about her. And B, it's in specifically, a specifically violent mode. But, but uh, what, I, what I mean is like the, the reason why they're using that, that framing is that like it, 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 it's 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 it, it, I don't I don't think that it's it, it just about about killing or like that's that's very much like a huge bit of the imagery because they consider it like a violent assault on them right I I think that there, that there's like underneath that there is literally like they have actually accidentally got something right which is is that like one of the one of like the the positions that trans people find themselves in in, in modern society is that they are structurally a challenge patriarchy and structurally a, a challenge to 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 like nuclear family traditional values um like they they basically through through sheer force of shittiness articulated the the concept of like abolition of, of the traditional family except yeah i don't want to kill my mother specifically i'm not really fond of the traditional role of motherhood no yeah exactly and, and they they they've detected it without realizing they've detected it. and and they think okay this person wants to psychologically kill their mother uh and there's this unconscious sensing of the fact that that they, they want to abolish parenthood in the way that we see it in in like modern Western society, and because parenthood is so tied up with their with their like self evaluation, they think that that means that that their child is coming to murder them, like Zeus coming to kill Cronus. Yeah, pretty much exactly. Um, especially because in Greek theology, like Cronus was a titan and old order, um, and like the whole point of that is a dynasty ending. It's not about the actual killing of Cronus, the father. I feel I feel like there's also like a distinct element of guilt there. Like if we were going to go full psychoanalytic and dig into Cronus, I've got the berry. I've got the turtleneck. I'm ready. Okay. Well, I I feel like there there's like a significant guilt component because obviously. Cronus ate his children, and Zeus had to be hidden from Cronus and disguised as a stone, as like an inanimate object, for Cronus to like like gaze upon and like imagine into being an actual child. And I feel like if we were actually going to go like full German academic, we could get like books and books out of that metaphor, and like Cronus being tricked into 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 not killing Zeus because Zeus has been replaced as like by a lifeless stone. All of this stuff, like very much like dovetails into this like huge rather horrendous narrative about like abusive parental guilt and like the weight of dead generations because what turns get wrong is that trans people are a threat to gender ideology what they get wrong is what that means what they think gender ideology means is you know trans women predatorizing you know the, the pure sacred body of the feminine 
but what it actually is 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 that yeah like gender ideology is an abusive one that that holds up you know loads of bollocks obviously like feminism 101 talks about this men not being able to cry that kind of thing but even deeper especially in the family unit it is like an ideology that i think especially for a lot of second wave feminists they're aware enough to know that gender has held them back but they're not aware enough to understand that it's not the most important thing i.e. like, you know, race and class and stuff like that is more important, which is why a lot of TERFs are white middle-class academics. But like, I think they do feel guilty about the fact that they have brought these children up. And that's why they talk so much about the fact like, oh, I would be fine if little Timmy wanted to wear dresses. I would respect that because I'm a feminist. And it's like, they know that they wouldn't. They know that they have this disgust and they try and make it better by saying that they would be fine with things when they actually wouldn't. And they buy into gender ideology whilst pretending that they don't. And I do think that's where a lot of the guilt comes from. Because if you truly raised a child in this feminist manner, which people have tried to do, they would mock it. And, and they have done. I, I almost wonder if like the, the almost vanguardist approach of turfism, like a political movement in the sense that it is organized, and it's like a very entryist, a very kind of like um, it's not it's not you know it's not centrally coordinated, but like they're very dedicated. And I wonder, I wonder if that dedication, to a certain extent, is also a product of of elements of that guilt. See, the thing is, is that when we get into this realm, we're like you might be more comfortable talking about this, but like I have less expertise in this area because like psychoanalysis is not my ballpark. Like I'm I'm like a bit of a I'm a bit of a hard materialist. And that's really where I'm more capable. Um, yeah, I've been psychoanalyzed a lot. <laughs> yeah, whereas I, I almost never have been. I wonder, I wonder if there's like a link between this like ideological guilt complex and the movement-wide behaviors of of turfism and how it functions in in its in terms of its like predilections uh, towards like pseudoscience and like certain forms of praxis because you know the the, the zealotry like the semi-religious dedication that comes with certain kinds of political ideologies certainly impacts the the methods that they use very very profoundly i i think that one of the things that's notable in terrorism is that it is constantly making appeals to like authoritarian structures like major newspaper comment sections, the legal system, civil service control over healthcare, parliaments, um, major public narratives, that kind of thing. It is interesting you say this because one of the ways that you see this contradiction play out is around one of the main turf groups, Women's Place UK, the American group, the Heritage Foundation. So as I, as I outlined when I originally wrote about Gillick competency, the specific ruling often case law is made with people who otherwise struggle to have their bodily autonomy respected. So uh, disabled people, whether they're children or adults. So for example, there was recently a disabled woman was forcibly fitted with a copper IUD in an appeal to Gillick competency, even though it breached human rights, kind of Gillick competency was invoked falsely. But one of the things that People, trans activists have, or or just general trans people who want to talk about things, because, you know, not everyone's an activist, we just want to live our lives, have have spoken about the fact that an attack on Gaelic competency has consequences for everyone, in the sense that it is an attack on bodily autonomy for disabled people, for women, um, as the original ruling came from. And therefore, accepting this Heritage Foundation funding goes directly against access to abortion. (laughs) 
general gay stuff, you know, general women having rights things against, you know, the kind of feminist concerns that TUFs say they are in favor of, such as women's rights to be gender non-conforming, women's rights to be lesbians, women's rights to marry or not marry. And the way that they seem to deal with this contradiction is to either say, and this is where a lot of schisms happen, we don't care if the butch lesbians suffer as long as trans people suffer, or they kind of impotently speak on their links to the right and say like, oh, well, we don't agree with, for example, um, the Hungary ruling, uh, which is, so Hungary is currently taking a very hard right authoritarian turn and has made the news for that anti-trans legislation, but also specifically in terms of the family have been implementing kind of very uh, Nazi um, uh, adjacent uh, concepts such as providing um, like state benefits for uh, like, you know, native Hungarians as they frame them or citizens to have children. They've provided huge amounts of subsidies for families and specifically made it clear that they want the rights of the Hungarian child to be respected. Um, and, and TERFs have engaged with this because they've said like, oh, you know, hating trans people, that stuff is great. And then they awkwardly shuffle their feet when this kind of very clear religious fundamental kind of stuff lines up with their interests. And, and they're not really like I said, they appeal to this kind of feminism that they all kind of hold dear from their, you know, from their early 20s they spent in Cambridge or, or on Fleet Street. And, and they don't really know how to reconcile it. And they, and they really never come to the realization that maybe they're in the wrong. Uh, that seems to be complete anathema to them. There's always another reason why religious fundamentalist far-right anti-feminists seem to have the correct to them line. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the, the the Austria thing reminds me of Mussolini's Italy, um, and like one of the one of the core facets of fascism across the board in almost every country is is like fascism is is like an ideology of like one of the, one of its key things is, is like national rejuvenation, irredentism when it comes to expanding the national borders, but not just not just like the physical borders within the land. It's about expanding the conceptual borders, like what the nation can do, and like strengthening every sinew of the of the nation in in the conceptual realm. And like one of the big ways in which that comes to the fore is in like productivity, and not just like economic productivity but like the personal productivity of the individual citizen and that means cranking out babies if you're a mother if you're a woman it means babies um and this this is a thing across like nearly every iteration of fascist ideology is that there has to be an expectation and like not just an expectation but like a political mandate that stems from like the requirements of the nation to be reborn and become strong but like mothers have to, have to use more children they have to use good children um and like the, the hungary thing is again like it's if you did it in a university essay you'd be done for plagiarism like it is, it is a like a straight lift of how the og fascists in italy were like mandating like state benefits for like productive mothers having lots of children and how there was this entire ideology about the the modern fascist woman that went hand in hand with like the new fascist man 
and the, the the key thing was this kind of like like interrelation between between like um the like the conservative matronliness of the mother with like a certain level of sex appeal but not too much sex appeal and like a level of activity and and productiveness and and, and like proactivity and like a, and like a drive but not in a way that was like autonomous or challenging to the man it had to all be about children and all be about the household yeah so orban literally speaks on a plan for a new cultural era uh uh including a gok like uh kindergarten curriculum promoting national identity christian cultural values patriotism attachment to homeland and family but also note notably in 2019 so the new cultural era is 2018 in 2019 last year the government announced a series of pro-natalist measures. I'm reading this off the Women's Place like article where they get cold feet about this. Includes a lifetime income tax exemption for mothers of four children and free IVF for married heterosexual couples. Like, from what I remember of history, that, that's basically very similar, if not identical, to the medals that, that, that Nazi Germany gave out to women who had a certain amount of children. Most of the big early to mid 20th century proto superpowers before the first world before the second world war were doing this the italians were doing it germans were doing it the soviet union actually did it as well it was it was a very common thing that like the fascist woman or to a certain extent like the proletarian woman and you've got to bear in mind that in the early days of fascism they were still using rhetoric around like proletarians like national proletarians Less national socialist. Exactly. Exa well, national national socialism um, is like specifically the German version, obviously. Um, but I mean that in like the the like the economic sense, like um, the way that Mussolini approached socialism, even in the bastardized form that the fascists did it, was actually quite different in terms of the economic policies. Um, but that's that's a discussion for another time. Anyway, um, yeah, it was it was very very common. For there to be like motherhood medals, um, it was absolutely like par for the course. I don't know if we had them in Britain. I'm not sure that we did because obviously we, you know, we were still like a horrible like right wing empire, but we didn't do the specific form of like violent internal right wing imperial expression that we now call fascism. We uh, were too hostile to the proletariat woman to do that. I think. Yeah, I think I think there's there's part of that, and there's also the fact that like there wasn't as strong a demand for active counter revolutionary force in Britain because we didn't have anything coming close to a revolution here. We had like we had flutterings, and it very very quickly got stamped on. Whereas in Germany, they had like five years of rather violent and complex borderline civil war internal conflict between between strikers and freikorps and i feel like there's there's like a whole discussion we could have about like the fascist concept of the wife very specifically and how that ties into the fascist concept of the soldier and the fact that all of that was born out of the experience of world war one well you need wives to make baby soldiers yeah yeah and the, the, but the thing is is that the soldiers quite often particularly the soldiers who went on to become the the proto-fascists after world war one 
often didn't really want to talk to their wives or even necessarily have sex with them. I think one thing that the modern British government does have, which are, you know, you could argue whether or not they are echoes or, or just coincidence, is that the Tory government, the same Tory government that Liz Truss is in, specifically re-engineered uh, marriage legally uh, to include what the, the thing is they got they got gay marriage in but by doing that they also changed tax exemptions so before you had equality with non-married and married couples and now not only do they have financial incentives for married couples but also at the same time you have the no recourse to public funds so the British citizen is encouraged financially to marry whilst uh, the, the non-citizen does not get benefits. So we do have that as, as an echo of those things. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder the extent to which that was not a counter-attack, but a response to the change that was brought in by the introduction of civil partnerships and gay marriages. They had to do something to venerate the marriage concept within conservatism as a broader ideology. Oh, it was entirely reactive. Um, yeah. you, you can follow the legislation. It's entirely reactive. Yeah, I, I, like it, it's so obvious, isn't it? And I think it's interesting that a government that has these policies that make it fertile for this sort of fascistic family unit appeal is the same government that the TERFs are making headway with. Yes. I, I don't think that uh, if we had like that hypothetical Keir Starmer government, and Starmer is like a very conservative politician, He's like a, a very, clearly an extremely reactionary man in his personal opinion. I don't think they would have made headway in the same way that they do with the Conservatives because the Conservatives have this like, like, like Starmer is conservative, but his conservatism is a different kind to the kind that is expressed by the Conservative and Unionist Party. And I think that the way that uh, turfism wins its victories with the Labour Party and it's, it's, it's like the way that the Labour Party interacts with British nationalism. It's very different to how Turfs would win victories with Tories. Well, much hay was made of the fact that John McDonnell uh, met with Women's Place and met with Mumsnet. But the difference yeah. is not that John McDonnell, as part of Corbyn's uh, shadow government, was immune to transphobia. The difference was that any kind of turf dog whistles or headway that were made, and, and, and it was made, um, uh, like the, uh, the, the Labour manifesto specifically confused trans people because it was like, we're very in favour of trans people, but we want to preserve women's spaces, which is, you know. Yeah, they fudged uh, it. I remember that happening. It was a very clear fudge. There had obviously been some kind of backroom argument over that. Yeah, and, and the headway was made essentially because either the people in the room were too ignorant or outnumbered by the pro-turf faction, and that's why you have this fudge. Whereas with the Tories, no one is pro-trans because it doesn't make any sense. Why would you be pro-trans if you're a Tory? Because the Tories love killing the poor, killing brown people, you know, all that stuff. And trans people tend to be poor and they, and they, and they tend to need things from the health service and they're, and they're surplus population. And the Tories hate that. So like, the TERFs have made headway with the Tories not because the left are immune to transphobia, they're absolutely not, but because of this specific, I think, kind of like nationalist um, and, and, and very, and very class-baked in uh, sort of like tendency. Uh, and so like the TERFs were able to get, you know, the Minister for, the Minister for Equalities to just not only retweet, 
not, not, not retweet, not only share like turf dog whistles, but go even further and be like, oh, it may not be relevant to the GRA, but by the way, we are going to protect the child. Like there was no need for that. It's only because it is perfectly, it perfectly dovetails with what the Tories want anyway. Like most Tories hate gay people and they think abortion should be illegal. And it's only in these kind of uh, backgrounds and I guess like environments where turf rhetoric is going to flourish because of its inherent like fascisticness. Before we wrap up, I want to touch on one other topic. And we, we, you know, we went into this earlier and this is something that we need to devote at least one entire episode but that I do want to touch on it in relation to how turfs approach children's healthcare. And it, it's like to do with the anti-Semitism thing. And like, yeah, I think that the anti like the anti-Semitism connection to turfism is so like complex and profound and such a complex um, topic in its own right that it, it really deserves its own hour. But the the very specific trope that I feel that they were that they are lifting is well poisoning. Because like the um, there's there's like well actually there's two tropes that I think turfism applies to trans people that historically have been applied um, to Jewish people within within like anti-Semitic canards and one of them is well poisoning and the other one is child stealing and it's like it's like their conception of what will happen is a mixture of those two things the um, the the child stealing and the like turfs genuinely think that the trans lobby is funding basically every social justice movement not just not just not just blm but they, they 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 genuinely do think that trans people are involved in the anti-semitism scandal in labor as well so they, they make it clear not just in their rhetoric but in their specific illusions that they consider this a link i mean they even think that george soros is funding trans activism hmm i didn't know about the I mean, I knew about the Soros thing, but that, that's something that comes up on, like, generalized right-wing old-person Facebook a lot, obviously. So, obviously, it would be within turf circles. I had seen hints about them getting into a kind of confrontation with BLM. I didn't know about some of the other stuff that you mentioned, particularly with the, the labor anti-Semitism scandal. That's quite interesting. And I have, like, it's clearly connected to the fact that the, the new, like, our generation of of people vast quantities of whom went into the labor party on corbyn's platform lots of them um were kind of like pro-trans in their politics like it's got to be connected to that like it's clearly a factional thing it very much is and lily madigan who um i knew it i knew it i knew it <laughs> lily madigan who came to the turf's ire when she was selected for a labor young women's shortlist uh, because she had the um, the goal to be trans. She, when she started getting involved in labor politics, was a teenager. She was a child. And she's another good example of the the child in the turf's eyes in that they conceived of her as this terrifying, terrifying being whilst she was a literal teenage girl. Yeah, like uh, 17 years old, I think, when uh, Lenny Madigan began to get involved. And, you know, a couple of years down the line, like, you know, people were basically like fucking breaking into her house like it was bonkers yeah they, i mean i mean some toughs did break into not lily madigan's house but a, a house of someone who was associated with lily madigan and you know pissed everywhere and dabbed graffiti like um if they had thought they could get away with breaking into her house they would have done so but like yeah she specifically was very pro corbyn 
and uh, one of the accusations leveled at her, you, you basically have this factional kind of like um, philo-Semitism from non-Jewish uh, turfs. Um, and at the same time, the, the appeal to anti-Semitic tropes of, of child stealing. Obviously, Corbyn, the Corbyn shadow government issues with anti-Semitism aside, like you definitely saw you definitely saw a fixation with anti-Semitism and trans rights activism on, on both sides, both the outwardly anti-Semitic TERFs and also TERFs appealing to anti-Semitism. Lily Madigan was accused of anti-Semitism, I think. Other people have been. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's very much been a both sides thing on the TERF side, except trans people are always wrong. I would, I would phrase it differently as being like um, an envelopment of trans people within that debate. I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not both sides in, in, in a normal sense. Uh, and like, again, um, it is not to conflate the struggles between, uh, for, uh, against people who face transphobia and people who face anti-Semitism. But like, again, in history, this has played out similarly as well, um, for the reasons you spoke about earlier on. I wonder if, if like, going forward, what, if there's going to be any kind of like changes in, in turf discourse in terms of how they, how they approach children because this line of attack has a lot of purchase within within like the UK political scene particularly when it comes to like stuff about paedophilia because that kind of thing is like such excellent tabloid bait that they it's it's like you know it's like a uranium fuel rod they can get energy for it for millennia if they use it correctly um we haven't even mentioned rowling Oh god, no, no. She's she's got to have her own episode. Yeah. Uh, in terms of paedophilia baiting, Rowling is currently very much on one in regards to that, which will have to be a different right episode. Now, as we're recording. Um. Yeah. Have you not seen like so? She called someone a predator. She called like a childhood fan of Harry Potter a predator for being trans. When. Uh, a few days ago, there's currently like a whole debate where lots of well-meaning, like, you know, cis allies of trans people have been like, well, I think JK Rowling is unsafe around children, um, which, you know, it's, it's very well-meaning, but, um, Jesus. yeah, useless. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure she, she said that someone was unsafe around, around people, around children. Oh, no, I do remember this now. Um, yeah, brilliant. Okay. Uh, I think in that case, it might, be, it might be timely and wise if episode three was about uh, Glinner the second. Um, yes, the Glinner ascendancy. Uh, second in the line of Glins. Fucking hell. Glinner is dead. Long live Glinner. I think, I think we've, we've, we've kind of, well, not exhausted this topic because obviously Timmy is infinite. But, uh, Timmy is all. Timmy is all, and at the same time, nothingness. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, Until next time, Glinna to Electric Boogaloo. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, JK Rowling, your time has come. It's time for you to sue us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get litigious. All right. Goodbye, okay. everyone who's listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.